How's everyone doing this morning? Come on, I need a better answer than that. That's what I'm talking about. All right, I, I hope this doesn't offend you. I'm going to bring a water bottle up here. Oh. That's it. Everyone can just leave now. Um, camp was fun, but I brought something home with me. My body's been fighting it for like a week. And a couple days ago, it just decided, that's done. We're going to stop fighting. You're just going to be a little sick. So I'm about over it, but my voice is a little raspy. I'm going to bring some water up here. So today, uh, we're going to continue our study in the parables. And before we do that, let's pray. Gracious Lord, we come before you. We thank you for this morning. Lord, it's unfathomable to think that you gave what was most precious to you, your only begotten son, to come to this world, to live the life we never could and die the death we deserve so that we could have freedom, so that we could have relationship with you, so that we could have the kingdom with you. So Lord, I pray that today you would open up our hearts, that you would make us aware of things that are holding us back from a life fully committed to you, and that we would be willing to lay these things down so that we can serve you fully, because Jesus, we do adore you. And I pray that we would show that with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, y'all. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to be with Jesus in one of his teachings? In our parable today, um, I think it's important to kind of set up the context. So I want you to imagine with me. Close your eyes even if you want to. You've been following Jesus for weeks at this point. You're ecstatic. It's amazing. I mean, this guy, oh, we think he's the Messiah. And a lot of other people do too. This day, there's an incredible amount of people following him. I mean, so many that there are thousands of people and they all want to get near him so they're trampling over one another. And Jesus begins to teach them. He says, you need to be warned about your religious leaders. Their teaching is infectious. They're hypocrites. On the outside, they seem good, but they're going to turn against me. So you need to beware and not get caught up with them. Don't fear man who can kill your body, who can persecute you, but fear God who is able to send you into hell. You know, this is scary, but you need to trust God through this. You know, he is incredibly caring. He knows how many hairs are on your head. Not a sparrow goes to the ground without his knowledge. So he's going to take care of you. You don't have to worry. And it's important that you know that if you confess me before men, I will confess you before the angels of God and my Father who is in heaven. So stand firm, because persecution is coming. But if you deny me before men, I too will deny you before the angels of heaven and my Father who is in heaven. Persecution is coming. They're going to bring you before the leaders. But the Holy Spirit is going to give you the words to speak in that time. So you don't need to be worried about what you're going to say. He's going to give you exactly what you need. Exactly what you need. Uh, you know, Lily, that's a great question. I don't know if it's the best question for now, though. Maybe we could talk about this uh, later. Okay, thank you. Kind of an interesting question. 
in the midst of such important things, right? But this is exactly what happens. Thank you, Lily, as well. This is exactly what happens in the midst of Jesus' teaching, which sets up the parable that he tells that we're going to study today. You see, in the midst of this teaching, this man stands up. It says, somebody in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Are you serious? This is what you're thinking about when Jesus is talking about something so serious, of such spiritual importance. You're thinking about the inheritance. Okay, so let's turn to Luke 12. We're going to start in verse 13. And today, the title of our message is How to Break the Chains Around Your Heart. How to Break the Chains Around Your Heart. So as we get into this, we're going to try to answer the question first and foremost, what has a hold on, on your heart? So the three questions we're asking today is, what has a hold on your heart? What do you struggle to let go of? And what are you seeking? Now, it's important to answer these questions, but as Pastor Bob mentioned to me yesterday, the thing is, or two days ago, uh, we don't want to just find the answer to this. We want to know what to do. How do, I, how do I move forward? How do I break these chains? So under these three questions, we're going to ask another question that gets deeper into this to help you discern, and then I'm going to give two prescriptions, two things for you to go and do, to apply to your life. So let's get into this. The first major question is, what has a hold on my heart? So let's read the first three verses, 13 through 15. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, my brother, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? And he said to them, now he's speaking to the crowd, take care and be on guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So, once again, it's kind of incredible to think that this man is thinking about what he is in the midst of such serious teaching from Jesus, right? I mean, it's easy to point the finger and say, how could you? Okay, but let's be honest. Probably especially when I'm teaching, but when Pastor Ryan's up here or Pastor Bob or you're listening to a sermon in your car, do you ever have perfect attention? Undivided attention and focus on what's being said. Or do you have things in your mind that distract you as well? Maybe you're just not as bold as Lily to stand up and ask. But what would be the things that you would ask if you stood up and said what was on your mind, what was distracting you? So, the thing that we're going to try and answer here is, what steals my attention? For this man, it was thinking about his inheritance. His father has passed away, and his brother is not giving him his portion of the inheritance. And you say, well, he has a right to be angry then. I mean, come on, I'd be thinking about that too. Maybe it's half. Maybe there's only two brothers, and he's, he needs his half of the inheritance. I mean, come on, this is... This is, uh, this is pretty normal. Can't stop thinking about it. It's interrupting his thought process throughout the day. It reveals the chains that are around his heart. Now, although this might on the surface seem pretty legitimate in regard to the concern that he has, and maybe the things that distract us as well do as well. But let's go a little bit further. So in this next part, I'm going to challenge you to dig deeper than just what's on the surface. Dig deeper. Jesus does this with the man. You see, there's a difference between what the man's words say and what the true problem is in his heart. As we pinpoint what steals our attention 
we start to reveal what steals my affection, our affection. You see, the thing is, Jesus sees the heart far more clearly than we do. This is why David in Psalm 139, 23 through 24, cries out, Search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any harmful way in me and lead me to the everlasting way. You know, at this point in history, blind spot mirrors haven't been invented. Right? Well, neither had trucks or cars or anything. But today, you drive a semi-truck, you've got a bunch of blind spot mirrors because you want to see what your eyes can't. So you rely on that. Thing is, there's no blind spot mirrors for the spiritual life. So we need Christ. We need to call out to him to reveal to us what we cannot see. You see, although to us, this man's concerns seem quite legitimate, Jesus sees deeper than what they appear on the surface. This is why he says to the people, beware of covetousness. This is actually the problem. You see, this man says, my, my brother won't give me the inheritance. We don't know the situation. And again, this is a parable. So this isn't a real situation that has happened, but you can imagine. Maybe this man won't give it to his brother because his father has worked all his life for this. And he knows his brother will squander it in a matter of months. Why? Because he's a coveter. Because he is never satisfied with enough. There's always more. He wants more, more of this, more of that. Maybe that's why his brother withholds it. So actually, the brother's not the problem. He is. There's a difference between the root of the problem and the fruit. What we see on the surface is not always the same as what's underneath the surface. And if we want to change that problem, if we want to cut it off, we can't just cut the surface level problem off. We have to dig deep and pull out the entire root. So Jesus tells us, third, that we need to beware of covetousness. What is covetousness? You know, I like the ESV's translation of this word being covetous rather than greedy. And both are good. But with greedy, we think of money in specific in our context, right? You're greedy. You want it all for yourself. You take all your money, all your assets. It's mine. Nobody else can touch this. Covetous, I think, takes on a different connotation. To be covetous means that you want what you don't or you can't have. You're never satisfied, never content. You always want more. Anyone struggle with that in the room? If we're being honest, that's probably all of us. Maybe there are some parts of our life where we're satisfied. Oh, man, you know? The Lord has blessed me with this wonderful house. I don't care what my neighbor has. I love this house. But how about your car? How about your husband? If he would just do those dishes more, man, I bet somebody else does that. You can covet a lot of things. In the Ten Commandments, the Lord... Uh, the Lord prohibits coveting both people and things. Both are off the table. Now, why does the Lord tell us to beware of covetousness? I think there's probably three reasons, probably many more, but one, it's a dead-end road. It's a dead-end road. Jesus says in verse 15, Beware, be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So even when you have an abundance, you could be the most wealthy person in the world. Sorry, that's really not what your life is actually about. Life is about more than possessions. So why would you focus your life and your time on acquiring more and more and more when at the end, it really doesn't matter how much you have. It's a dead-end road. Two, it allows the world to have a death grip on your heart. It has a death grip on your heart. It, it puts layers of chains. Why? Because not only is it a dead-end road, it's an endless pursuit. 
If somebody is covetous specifically of money, how much money will it take for them to be satisfied? Say a million dollars. Okay, and then they get a million. How about two? How about 10? How about 100? How about a billion? Where, where does it stop? It always continues. How about cars? Oh, if I could just get me a, a Taurus, you know? And then a BMW. And then a Porsche. And then a Ferrari. It, I mean, where does it end? If you're coveting something, it is an endless pursuit so the world will continue to have a death grip on your heart because you're never going to be satisfied and you're always going to be seeking more. Third, it prevents you from being focused on the things of the Lord. Why? Because you're always thinking or you're always seeking more of something else. You're distracted. The world has your heart on lockdown. Because your attention is over here. I want more of this. I want more of this. I got to get more. I, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get more. And the Lord wants us focused over here. If you're never content with what you have, you'll never have time to do what God wants. That's plain and simple. So Jesus, as he often does, uses the situation at hand, this man's interruption to speak into the hearts of the people he's with by telling a parable. So uh, with this parable, we'll look at verses 16 through 21 and try to answer, what am I clinging on to? What am I clinging on to? In the first part, the chains are around our hearts. The world has a death grip on our heart. Now it's us. What am I clinging on to? What do I have trouble letting go of? I think an important question to ask as we, as we start to read this is, how am I using the abundant blessings that God has given me? How am I using the abundant blessings God has given me? Let's start in verses 16 and 17. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, hmm, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. So let's get a couple things straight. This man's already rich. This isn't the first season of harvest. This isn't the first season he's done well. But it's the best season of harvest he's ever had. But you know what? He's been perfectly fine every season beforehand. So, what is he going to do now that he has more than he had? The Lord's given him extra blessings. What's he going to do with it? He's never had to store this much before, and he's been perfectly fine. He was able to live without this when he didn't have it, but now that he does have it, is he willing to let go of it? I don't know. I guess we'll have to see. Something else I think is a misstep here is he seeks counsel from himself rather than God, which is going to be characteristic of this man. He's very selfish. But what does he say? He gets this massive produce, and he thinks to himself, what shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. What am I going to do? How about prayer? <laughs> hey, Lord, you've given this to me. What would you have me do with what you've given? If we're being honest, is that our first step every time? Lord, my goodness, you just gave me a raise. My goodness, Lord, you've just blessed the socks off of me. What would you have me do with this? Often that extra blessing is what we hold on to and we say, man, I've been waiting for this. You know, I can, I can put some money into my ATV. I can do this. I can do that. New plasma. Lord, what would you have me do with this? Not what I want. What do you want me to do with what you've given? So the next question as we dig deeper into what am I clinging on to is, am I a selfish steward or a mingy manager? whichever uh, alliteration you like better. Am I a selfish steward? Verse 18 and 19. 
And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Do you notice all of the eyes and the my's? Should we read it again? He said, he's speaking to himself, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, okay, now he's speaking to his soul, so he's going to change to second person pronouns, but he's still talking to himself. Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. You relax, you eat, you drink, you be merry. There's nobody else mentioned in this parable until God steps in. I think this is how we can treat our possessions as well. This is how we can treat our blessings as well. Are you a good steward or a squanderer? Are you characterized by generosity or greed? Are you characterized by compassion and charity or the endless search for comfortability? Are you building your kingdom or his? Do we hoard the blessings that God gives us? And if we do, why? And why does this man do it? Well, I think he and we think that it will bring us happiness, security, and it will take away our worries. Happiness, security, and take away your worries. He says, you have ample goods laid up for you for many years. You're secure, man. You could have famine for the next five years and you're good. So you don't have to worry. You've done it. You made it. You don't have to worry. You can relax now. Be merry. Eat and drink. Your happiness has been found. But unfortunately, Proverbs tells us riches are a false hope. They're a strong city in the rich man's imagination. Because true security, true hope that casts out fear and worry, true joy comes from the Lord. Not from possessions, not from the blessings he gives. Verses 20 and 21. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you, are, you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Folks, I'm sorry if uh, this is new news to you, but we're not guaranteed that we're going to wake up tomorrow. How does this impact the way that we live our lives today? We, like this man, can feel that we have security for years to come. But what if the Lord says, tonight's your last night? We're not guaranteed tomorrow, so we have to live in light of that. And the thing is, we can't take our possessions with us. How should that steward the way that we use our resources? The thing is, God gives us blessings to use them. There's purpose in our life. There's purpose for why he's given us what he has. And there's a way that we can store up treasure in heaven so that we can not take our possessions with us, but use them so we have things stored up for us in heaven when we go there. So, the first prescription in this section is be rich towards God and others. Be rich towards God and others. God is a God of means. He uses means to accomplish his desires. You know, if he wanted to, he could just have a loudspeaker from heaven proclaim the gospel to the whole world. He could do it. He's God. Instead, he uses us. He could use the angels, but he uses us because he's a God of means to accomplish his purposes. What if God has blessed you in this season with your bumper crop, your abundance, so that you could bless other people? What if it's not for you? God is a God of means. 
He's called us to be good managers of the resources that he gives us. And in order to do that, we need to be like Christ. We need to have the mindset, the attitude of Christ, which Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says is to count other people as more important than ourselves and to consider their interests before our own. You know, this makes me think of the parable of the talents. The Lord gives resources to his servants, and then he goes away for a while. But he says, I'm going to return. What are you going to do with the resources I have given you? When I come back, you'll give an account. How are we using the resources the master has entrusted to us while he's away? Because we'll give an account as well when he returns. But the thing is, if we don't take Jesus' warning and we fall into covetousness, we're going to hoard those resources. What if I never get more? What if this is the end? What if I don't, what if God doesn't give me any more than this? What if this is just for me? I need to keep these for myself and keep myself secure. We'll talk more about that and trusting in resources rather than trusting in the Lord later on if we ever get to the end of the sermon. Third point in this section is store up your treasure in heaven. Store up your treasure in heaven. God is calling me to be rich towards him, to invest in his kingdom, and to store up my treasure in heaven rather than on earth. You know, Jesus has our best interests in mind when he commands us to do that. At the end of this section, in Luke 12, 34, he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you're storing up your treasure on this earth, it's going to be hard to keep your eyes focused and fixed upon heaven and the return of Jesus. Why? Because your heart's here. You're not looking forward to heaven. You've got it made here. This is heaven on earth. Are you eagerly awaiting his return? Are your eyes focused on heaven? Are you focused on storing up your treasures in heaven? Or are you storing them up here? We've got a, a couple verses from 1 John 2 to contemplate. 1 John 2 John says, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now let's keep this up for just a second. I think this is incredible to look at this. The, the part that always catches my attention is, is the second to last line. And the world is passing away along with its desires. So as we discern what has a hold on my heart, what is holding my attention, stealing it away from the Lord, what am I holding on to? We want to ask the question, is what I'm holding on to going to pass away? Are the desires that I have going to pass away? You say, my desire is to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, and mind. My desire is to serve neighbor and to love and to share hope and joy. Those desires will never pass away. Welcome to heaven, folks. That's what you'll be doing there, too. If your desire is to hoard your resources, if your desire is to possess more and more and more, that's going to pass away. If you use all of the resources you've been given for yourself to have material things, to have comfort, those things will pass away. When you approach the King of Heaven, the one who we just said, Jesus, we adore you, what will you have stored up in Heaven to lay at his feet?
Will the treasures that you stored up in heaven demonstrate a life that was fully devoted to serving him? Or when you come up there, will you be embarrassed or ashamed that with the resources he gave you, you invested in the world that you left behind? Now, if you're feeling a piercing in your heart, join the club. This passage, for whatever reason, every time I come to it, is piercing my heart. Why do I focus on these things? Why do I care about this? Why can't I just keep my attention on you? So if this is a convicting passage for you, you're not the only one. And I'm sure you're not the only one out here either. But I'm with you in this. Don't you want to have a treasure hoard to lay at his feet? Say, Jesus, this world I left behind, you know, I didn't have much. Not, Lord, not that you didn't give me much. You gave me a lot, but Lord, I just wanted to serve you. I just wanted to give it to others. I wanted to keep you first. It's all for you, Jesus. You can have it. That day's coming. Each of us will have a time to do that and to present what we've done for the Lord to him. What will you carry with you? We need to be thinking about this. This day is coming. And God says to the person in this parable, if you do not think about this, if you do not think like this, you're a fool. Because we need to see beyond just what we want and just what we can have now in this world, but be storing up treasure in heaven by being rich towards God and towards others. Last question for the remainder of this passage from verse 22 to 34. We'll go a little bit quicker through this section. The question is, what am I seeking? What is it that I am seeking? The Greek word zeteo is a very strong word. When we think of seeking, maybe you think of like hide and seek, right, today. And, and maybe that's helpful. But this would be like, you've got like a 10-carat diamond and you've lost it. How are you going to seek that? This is devoting serious effort to attaining an object. Maybe we could talk about it as devoting your heart and your life to something. What are you seeking? So, further question. Am I living to survive? Am I living to survive? You know, that's what Charles Darwin talks about, right? Survival of the fittest. Jesus is going to say that this is what all of the nations focus on. They don't know where their next meal is going to come from, so they need to ensure that they're going to have it. Are we living to survive? Or are we trusting that God is going to provide what we need to survive so that we can have our eyes focused on something greater. Let's read verses 22 and 23. And he said to his disciples, therefore, so the therefore is, as a result of this parable I've just taught you, let, let's get to the application of this to your life. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Do not be worried about your life, what you will eat, because you need that to survive, nor about your body, what you will put on, for, this is why, life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Okay, you don't have food today? You don't have clothing today? Not good, right? No clothing, we're not letting you in here. We need those things to survive, to operate in society, right? But Jesus says, don't be anxious, don't be worried about having these things. Why? Because life is more than just possessing these things. You know what? God gave us taste buds, okay? He could have not given us taste buds, and then food would just be, you know, it would be like uh, putting gas into a car. 
You need it to survive. You need it to operate. But he gave us taste buds so we can enjoy our food, right? But God did not create us to enjoy food. Okay? God gave us creativity. He gave us desires. So there's people that are way more creative than me that, that do things called fashion, you know, and make some pretty cool clothes. And then, you know, I just choose to wear all black. Um, God gave us creativity and, you know, desires to choose certain clothes and stuff, but he did not create us for that. Life is way greater than that. So if God created us for greater purposes than that, don't you think he's going to provide what we need to accomplish those purposes? We would think so. Jesus then gives us some reasons that we should trust the Father to provide. Point two, trust your Father to provide. He points towards nature so that we would learn this. Verse 24, he says, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They neither uh, they, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, being worried, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you worried about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory is not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? So we use these two examples to get this... Um, change of perception into our heart. It says, don't you know that you have a father who's caring, who wants to provide for you, who's loving and compassionate? You know, maybe you're a, a dad here who says, you know what, that's pretty harsh, Jesus, okay? I just want to put food on the table for my family, you know, want to give them good clothing each school year. I mean, what's so bad about seeking that, Jesus? Okay, you see that natural inclination you have, that desire that you have? It means you're a good father. Don't you think God is a better father than you? So, are you trusting yourself to do these things? Or are you trusting God to do that so you can do even greater things for him? If God knows your children need it, if you know your children need it, you can trust he's going to provide. He's trustworthy. He says he does it to the ravens. You ever seen a, a raven out in the field sowing seeds? You know, got a garage to store his food in? No. And you know what? They don't starve because God provides for them. You ever seen a lily toiling or spinning to make its colorful clothing? No. And he like really puts it in deep. He says, even Solomon can't dress himself. The richest king in Israel that's ever been can't dress himself like one of the lilies that God makes. He clothes the fields in more splendor than Solomon clothed himself. Don't you think that God is going to give you the clothing you need? And then he says, oh, you have little faith. You know, I think this is where we need to go back to childlike faith. You know, Ezra is two years old. When do you think the last time is Ezra worried about where the food was going to come from tomorrow? He just trusts we're going to provide it. Or, you know, did mom and dad do the laundry so that I'm going to have a nice pair of pants for church tomorrow? No, he doesn't worry about these things. Why? Because he just trusts. We give it to him, and so he just expects these things. We should have an expectant trust in the Lord because he is a greater father. He, he has greater desires to provide than any mother. So we can trust him. So why then do we fear the future? We have an, a God who is beyond all of our understanding, all of our imagination, and we stand on an immovable foundation 
so that we can trust in him. He's got us. What are you seeking? Let's look to verse 29 and 30. Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried about these things. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. So again, this is not saying to, you know, who, I don't know who goes to the grocery store in your family. Maybe it's dad. Maybe it's mom. Maybe it's an older sibling. He's not saying, no Trader Joe's runs this week. You don't need to have any food. That's not the way he's using seeking. It's, is this all your life is about? You're focused on this and nothing more. He says, your life is bigger than this. Don't just seek after this. He says, this is what the nations do. Those who don't know me, those who don't trust in me, have their eyes focused on this and nothing more. He says, there's something bigger I want you to seek. What is that? The kingdom. So we have a replacement command. The first command is do not seek food or water or be worried about these things. The replacement command in our first prescription in this section is seek the kingdom. Actually, it's the second one, but that's okay. Seek the kingdom, verses 31 and 32. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Are you seeking the things of the heart of God? Are you seeking to have your life match up to his will? Are you seeking to, to lay your life down before him every day and seek his will and his intentions for your life and what others need or just the things that you want? Are you seeking his ultimate plan? There's a, uh, the, the ministry that, that Pastor Bob works with in Africa. They, he, they say um, his last command is our first priority. The Great Commission, are you focused on spreading the gospel to the whole world in your community is a good place to start, but do you want to see this world saved? Are these the things that you focus on? How are you using your resources to do this? And we see here as well God's promise that if you're seeking the kingdom, the higher purpose that he's given you in, in your life, he says these things will be added to you. So don't seek the bare necessities of life because if you're seeking the higher priority, God's going to provide these. You can trust him to do that. So set your eyes on higher things. Verse 32. Once again, he says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It pleases God to give you the kingdom. The kingdom is his it's his. He didn't have to give it to anybody, but he shares it with you. He, he paid the ultimate cost by giving his son so that you could be an inheritor of the kingdom. Don't you think he's going to give you what you need on this earth? He's already given you much more. Something that sticks out to me as well is this calls us to be an imitator of God. It pleases him to give you these things. Does it please you to give away what God has given you? To others. Is it hard? Say, I don't know about this. I think it's going to please me more to have it. I'll tell you, there's more joy in giving away than keeping for yourself. So our last point and the last command of Jesus is to release your grip on your possessions. And I'll tell you what, this will probably be the hardest point of the sermon. I've preached this before, and I think it's easy to kind of Wiggle your way around this command. But this one hit me particularly hard this time. You know, Nikki and I are, are moving into a new house, so we're in the process of packing. Anyone ever done that before? You start packing, and you're like, where did this even come from? When did I buy this? Why did I buy this? Why do I need all this stuff? Covetousness. We want more. And we acquire it, and we, we store it up, and we store it up. And eventually, we come to a point in our life where we move or something else happens. You read Luke 12, and you say, what is all this stuff? Verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the needy. 
Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no, no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Jesus is calling us to detach ourselves from earthly possessions and therefore from this world. Because, as we'll say in the next verse, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The command is to sell your possessions. Now you say, hold on a second. Pastor, you don't understand. My job is 45 miles away. You want me to sell my car? No, I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus desires for you to work. He desires for you to provide for your family. What are the things that God has given you in an in, in extra blessing that are sitting around your house that you don't really need? That when you didn't have them before, you were perfectly fine, but now that you have them, you don't want to let them go. For me, there's a lot of commentaries up on my shelf that I'm like, I don't even need these. I'm a book nerd. I love, I love books. You know, but it, one of the things that was convicted in my heart, so I've got Logos, Bible software. I have a whole commentary set sitting on my shelf of the Old Testament that I also have on Logos. It's like a $700 commentary set, and it's just sitting there. So I thought to myself, is this going to do more for me sitting on the shelf, or if I sold these and gave it to the church that I serve in Asia to help them build this church in this little village that we served in in March, would that have greater purpose? I think, of course it would, like that. So if you know anyone trying to buy some commentaries, I've got it. But what if we thought like that all the time? And I'm not trying to lift myself up. This shows you that I have a problem with this too. But I'm trying to process through this. What do I do with all this extra stuff that I have that I don't need? What could I do instead of just leaving it on the shelf if I sold it because I've lived without it before, I don't need it, and I gave it to somebody who's having trouble living because they don't have anything at all? Sell what you can live without and give it to the poor so that they can have what they can't live without. I think this is what Jesus is saying. You know, and it's hard. We cling on to these things, right? Remember the parable in Matthew 13, 51, where the man finds the treasure in the field, and he's willing to give it all up to have this treasure. Folks, you already have that treasure if you have Christ. Why do we cling on to everything else? We already have the greatest treasure there is in the world. So if he is our treasure and our focus is on storing up treasure in heaven, then let us break the chains of our heart and focus our eyes on the king of heaven and what he has for us. Now I want to challenge you guys to do this. I don't know what that will look like in your personal life. But maybe there's things that you're clinging on to that you say, it's time to sell this. It's time to give this to the poor. Maybe there's a, a place like Nikki and I have in, 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 uh, in, goodness, almost said it, I can just say it, in India, where your heart is so passionate about these people, you say, I want them to have it. Or maybe you say, hey, Pastor Alex and his family are coming, or Pastor Alex's family are coming in just a few weeks. I want to give it to the Global Fund. Or, or maybe it's to the church in general. Or maybe there's a family in your neighborhood who you know needs it so badly. Why hold on to it? When you can give it to them and not lose because you'll store it up in heaven and have treasure to lay down at the feet of Christ. There's one closing point. You know, Pastor Bob last week talked about being ready for the coming of Christ. Do you know what the next thing Jesus says after he finishes this passage is? Verse 35, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And he goes into a teaching on preparing for his coming. Part of preparing for the coming of Christ is detaching yourself from this world. You're not going to be able to bring a bunch of baggage with you, a bunch of possessions with you. So we prepare our hearts to be in heaven, 
by letting go of what is on earth. You know, Jesus has the key to release you from the chains around your heart. Why hold on to what you'll have to let go of then? He's got the keys, but do you want him to unlock the chains? Will you let him do so? Haven't you waited long enough? Let's pray. Lord, we come before you with heavy hearts. Lord, this is not an easy passage. Maybe this is a passage we didn't even want to hear this morning because it hurts because we fall short in this. I know it's been piercing to me this week as I've thought through it and studied it. So Lord, change us. Unlock the chains that are wrapped around our heart. Because we want our eyes fixed on you. Lord, we're going to be with you through the rest of eternity and we want treasure to lay at your feet to, to say, Jesus, I live my life for you. It's all for you. I don't need this or that in this world, Lord. We've already got you. Let us learn to live outside the realm of comfortable. Let us look to others and focus on them rather than ourselves. Let us be content with you. Because as Paul says in Philippians, whether he was in a season of abundance or lack, he can do all things through you who strengthened him. So too for us, Lord. If we're in a season of abundance, you will give us the ability, the strength to do what we need to, to be rich towards you and others. And Lord, if, you, if we are in a season of lack, you can give us the strength to sustain us in that and, Lord, help those in abundance to help those in lack. Lord, we love you. Help us to be better stewards of what you have given us now so that we can have rewards to lay at your feet forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen.